Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code. My name is Paul Abernathy, as always, your host. Today's episode is kind of a part two, if you will. We are discussing the potential changes that took place during the public comment or second revision stage of the development of the National Electrical Code, the 2020 edition. Um, And I have to remind you, the things that I talk about in this podcast series when it comes to the potential changes, they're not set in stone yet. They haven't been voted on yet. These are just things to what happened during the second draft meetings. Okay, And so some of the stuff is still going on that can make changes. Uh, but at the end of the day, what I'm going to talk about is kind of the changes that took place. And some of these changes might be new. Some of them are going to be changes that, took, that were actually public comments to maybe the first draft positions uh, and things like that. Uh, and so keeping in mind that what we talk about might not necessarily be what was in the 2017 code. It might have been a change that took place to the first draft for the 2020. So when I make a statement about something and I read it and show you what's marked out or what's changed, you're saying, well, wait a minute, I got a 2017 in front of me. That's not what 2017. Remember, it's the public comment stage is a change from what took place in the first draft stage. That's where we're at. So if it doesn't look familiar to you from the 2017, it's because something took place in the first draft stage where you had your public inputs. And now at the public comment stage, we're just simply massaging it even more because people made comments on the first draft. And so we're we're, we're having to address those comments. And that's why they call it this the public comment stage. But just remember, this is a living document. It's constantly flowing. We still have a vote that's got to take place in a couple weeks. And we also have what's called the NITMAMs, which means it gives it another chance for people to raise opposition to anything that comes out in the second draft report. Okay? So we still got a lot of work to do here. All right, so today's episode, we are going to look at some of the changes that took place in Article 110. This is the requirements for electrical installations. So there was quite a few changes in here. So we're going to kind of look at them uh, and discuss them a little bit. Uh, But we're going to more significantly look at the the changes that that took place. And I'm going to also, just like I did in the first uh, podcast, I'm going to give you the SR number so that you can write that down so that when the second draft comes out, you know where to go to right away to look at the second revision number and, and, and maybe some of the panel comments, and maybe that helps you, okay? All right. So, very first change is to 110.5, conductors. Okay, now this is based on uh, a submittal, uh, but it resulted in what's called a second revision, 8027. And as a result of what happened was uh, there was a change here and this basically the word normally was removed because again, the style manual doesn't like the use of those type of terms. Okay, And also the informational note was deleted and copper clad aluminum was added to the body of the requirement as 
it is a conductor material that is actually covered in the NEC. Okay, so previously it kind of referenced it in the informational note, but in many places of the code we talk about copper clad aluminum. So just made sense to move it up into the conductors. So the changes now is remove the term normally. And basically it says conductors used to carry current shall be copper, aluminum, or copper clad aluminum unless otherwise provided in this code. It says where the conductor material is not specified, the sizes given in this code shall comply to shall apply to copper conductors. Okay. It says where the materials are used, where other materials are used, the size shall be changed accordingly. So it's one of those things when we teach people on code exams, we always tell you assume copper unless expressed otherwise. It's the same thing here, okay? The code is going to talk about copper, aluminum, or even copper clad aluminum where it's specified, right? But if it doesn't, then you're going to assume copper conductors, okay, when we're doing that sizing, okay? Um, if they state other material, then you're going to use, obviously, the sizes that are accordingly to that material, okay? So that's really the only change there. Um, it also made references uh, in applications that informational note to 310.14 and 15. But you know what? One thing to remember that Chapter 3, most notably Article 310, has gone through a extensive reorganization. Now, maybe the intent didn't change, but it's been totally reorganized. And at this point, the old 310.16 for ampacity values is coming back. We're going to be able to call it 31016 again. I know that's confusing after we all spent all those that last two cycles learning what 31015B16 was and we could just roll that off the tongue. Now it's going back to 310.16. Okay. I could care less. People act like that's a big deal, but me, I, I don't care. You know what? I learned whatever's in the code. It, it doesn't matter to me. But anyway, there's your change. So clarification of conductors again moving copper clad conductors up into the actual code language because it is referenced throughout the code. Okay, I will remind you that copper clad aluminum is still aluminum. Okay, so when you size it, it's still based as if it was aluminum. Okay, yeah, just want to remind you of that. Not because I'm biased or anything. All right, so the next change we have is under... 110.12, mechanical execution of work. So we have some applications in A for unused openings. B, we had integrity of electrical equipment and connections. But now we have the application when it deals with cables or conductors when it comes to mechanical execution of work. Now this is all going to be covered in SR 8047. But I figured that I would read it and it removes some references to uh, a document that was in the informational note, and it did add section 300.4 and 300.11, probably due to the reorganization, if you will, of of the code. Uh, But I'm not 100% sure why that was done. So what do you do when you're not 100% sure? You go to look at the second revision. Now that was 8047, folks. So when you go look at it, the only change here is that they said the reference to to 568-2006 standard for installing commercial building telecom cables has been withdrawn by NECA. Therefore, it needed to be removed. Okay. Um, I don't have a copy of the 2017 up here. 
so I am going to, if you bear with me and my patience with me, I am going to bring that up because I want to see personally the change if it had anything to do. And again, I apologize. I, I probably should have been a little more prepared for that. But, I, you know, this is a flow, flowing thing. I want to look at 110.12c in the 2017 code to see those other references. Okay. Well, there is no C there. So obviously this came in during the... Um, obviously this came in during the first uh, draft stage. Okay, C got introduced. So obviously there was changes that needed to add 300.4 and 300.11 to it. So that talks about the installations shall also conform with 300.4. used to be a protection applications and 300.11 also. Okay, so it's just, uh, I believe 300.11 is the space above a suspended ceiling. Uh, but we'll go look at that real quick. So that's why we're, we're going to get some clarity here because this is new. Uh, new when it comes to the code, not new when it comes to the first revision. So yes, securing and supporting, um, yes, when it's above a suspended ceiling. So I was right. Okay, so that's just the general. All right, so we have some clarity here. So now it says conductors, uh, cables and conductors installed exposed on the surface of ceilings and sidewalls shall be supported by the building structure in such a manner that the cables and conductors shall not be damaged by normal building use. Such cables and conductors shall be secured by hardware including straps, staples, cable ties, hangers, and similar fittings designed and installed so as not to damage the cable. The installation shall also conform with 300.4. That's protection and how it's installed parallel with raceway, uh, excuse me, with, with framing members and board through board holes and all that goodies. And of course, 300.11, which is talking about the protection when it's above suspended ceilings and all that kind of good stuff. Okay. Now you're asking me, did that change from 17? And it could have. Why is it not going to be underlined in the second revision? Because it might not have changed from the first draft. And so we might have had changes from the first draft. This podcast is dealing with what happened during the second draft meetings, okay, or the second revision. So if I've confused you at that point, uh, then you are not a follower of the code development process. You shouldn't be confused. Don't be confused. It's simple. But if you go to second revision 8047, you're going to see that in the NEC, C did not appear under 110.12, so it had to be added in the 20. 21st draft and since it's not underlined in the second revision that tells you that it had to be it had to come from the first draft okay okay did i confuse you hope not okay next one 110.14 okay 110.14 let's gonna what i want to do is i want to look and see because we had the reference to copper and copper clad aluminum or aluminum uh which was in the quoted statement, has kind of been revised a little bit. So the second revision is 8059. So you have to go look at that to see what took place. Okay, so what we're talking about here is is the, the application. Is, so what happened, it says copper or copper clad aluminum has been deleted from the dissimilar metals list for the application of this requirement. So they don't consider copper and copper clad aluminum to be dissimilar metals. All right. Now, I'm going to read the public comment, which is in 1361. And that kind of gives us some 
guidance here. Now, this references a lot of, of information, a lot of supporting documents that came from this. And I will say this came from the people that have to do with copper-clad aluminum. So I guess their point was you made it sound like copper and copper-clad aluminum were dissimilar metals. Yeah, the aluminum and the copper are, but the metallurgically bonding of the copper to the aluminum center core created an application where it was not dissimilar metals from the copper to the copper-clad aluminum. And I guess that is what this is correlating to. Okay? So under that application, they removed that. So where it says physical contact occurs between dissimilar conductors, and then it said such as copper and aluminum, or aluminum and copper-clad aluminum. Okay? So no longer is it considered copper to copper-clad aluminum to be dissimilar, and that's the way it was previously. Okay, it's still dissimilar for it to be aluminum to copper clad aluminum. So that did not change. Okay, simple clarification. Again, that is under SR8059 in case you need to read that and understand it a little bit better. Okay, the next one. Now, again, remember all these things could change when it comes to the two thirds vote that's coming up in a couple weeks or at the NITMAMs. So always keep that in mind. I doubt that one will change, but it might. Because there's some people that still believe that copper-clad aluminum is 99% aluminum. But we'll see where that goes. All right, so the next one is probably a long-anticipated change. When the code introduced torquing requirements in 2017, which weren't really new, 110.3b required torquing because of manufacturer's listings and lug values and all that anyway for many, many years. All of a sudden, we saw this section come up that was terminal connection torquing. And so it freaked everybody out because it required it to have certain information about requiring it to be calibrated and all this kind of stuff. So the first draft revision kind of removed and clarified all that language. Well, then people looked at it and said, no, we need to clarify it a little more. So in the second draft, we have a little bit more clarification here. Now, the real change in the second revision stage was really in the informational notes. It really wasn't in the work that was done during the first draft. Now, again, let me do a little clarity here because people could be confused. The 2017 code is the code. Then it goes through the 2020 development cycle. And then you have people like you and me who submit what's called public comments. Or, excuse me, public inputs. All right, see, I'm even getting confused. So... When they submit these public inputs, we change it. And result in that is we have a meeting, we compile all this, and then we put out what's called the first draft. Well, then you read that first draft, which is, a, is an intended change to the code, and you go, no, I don't like that. No, I disagree with that. Then you have an opportunity, and you have a window of time that you have that opportunity. Okay, I get people asking me that all the time. How do I submit a change? Well, you've got a window of opportunity. So you need to be engaged in the process. Now you get to submit what's called a public comment. And once those public comments come in and that public comment time is over, then we have another meeting, and that's called the second draft meeting or the second revision meeting. And that's what we just had in San Diego. Then we look at the information that you disagree with with the first draft statements, and you can make additional changes. Well, when you're looking at the code, 
and you don't see something underlined, but you know there was a significant change from what it was in the 2017, the reason it's not underlined is because it wasn't a change from the first draft. You see what I'm saying? It might necessarily be a change from the 2017. And all that will get taken care of by NFPA, don't worry. Okay? But I'm just talking about what changed or what potential changes we have moving forward uh, in the second draft stage. Okay, so with that said, for those that aren't familiar with it, there was a lot of requirements that were very hard to deal with when it came to twerking. So now you have what's called a second revision, 8069, which builds on the first revision. And it says this, tightening torque values for terminal connections shall be as I indicated on equipment or in installation instructions provided by the manufacturer. An approved means shall be used to achieve the indicated torque value. Okay, so approved means whatever the authority having jurisdiction is okay with. All right, so it doesn't change the intent. It means that the authority having jurisdiction might not necessarily require a calibrated torquing tool. Um, so we're going to leave that up to the jurisdiction because the, the added term approved does that. Now, in the informational notes, there were other things that were added. For example, there are other devices that are out there like shear bolts or breakaway devices that actually snap at a certain torque value. So they got incorporated into the informational note reminding people of that because I've had some people who will sit there and say, well, you can't use this little device that's maybe supplied by a, a panel board manufacturer, for example. And so it snaps, it breaks, it's a, it's a little tool. And they go, no, 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 you can't use that. Well, why not? Because it's designed to break at a certain value. It's a breakaway device. So that was added in the informational notes. Um, it also added an informational note number two. It clarified and added a lot of verbiage here. Here's what it said. It says, the equipment manufacturer can be contacted if numeric torque values are not indicated on the equipment or if the installation instructions are not available. It does remind you to see informative annex I of, of UL standard 486AB. Um, okay, that, that is where a lot of that information comes from, from the annex I of, the, uh, of UL standard. Um, but, you know, remembering that you also and I'm not sure I like how that, that language is, you also can go back and look at information, and I assume it is still there, in Informative Annex I of the NEC. All right, so I'm going to express my ignorance at this point because I'm not sure that it's Annex I of UL Standard 486A-46B. I thought it was Annex I of the NEC. But you know what? I it, it could be wrong. I, You know what? I haven't really looked at that. But anyway, you get the point. We're going to give you some direction here in the informational note. I haven't really looked to see if they've changed anything in the back for far as annexes. We're going to find out that together as I go through the code here on these podcasts. So anyway, you get a little bit of a leeway. Remove the calibration requirement. Allows for other different options. But mainly, here's what it does. It still enforces a 110.3b component. It gives its own guidance, but it lets the inspector determine what's approved and what's not approved. If you need to look at the language, go to SR 8069. The 8069, it references, there was actually three public comments, uh, 1511, 1330, and 20, uh, 260, that did this, okay? So, 
The only real significant change here from the first draft stage was that the informational notes were expanded and elaborated on, okay? And also expressed the importance of contacting the manufacturer. They know the best, okay? Also remember that sometimes a lug might have a value, but once that lug is placed in a piece of equipment, now you got to go buy the piece of equipment because now they've tested their equipment say a panel board with a specific lug, and they might list on their legend a value that's to be used, okay? And it might not necessarily be the lug manufacturer's value. If you buy separate lugs, then that's different. You use the lug. But if you have a piece of equipment, and that equipment utilizes a component, which is the lug, now it gets evaluated as part of, they say, panel boards in UL67, for example. Now you got to follow the manufacturer's guidance, and they're going to put that on their legend, Okay? So, just good information. So, that was a change in 110.14D. The next change is dealing with 110.21 item number 2, or it should be A2, and that's called reconditioned equipment. Uh, There was some verbiage that was added, an informational note that was added uh, to clarify what we're talking about here, uh, the SR that was generated, remember this could be changes that took place to the first draft and might not necessarily be all of the language that was in 2017. It's kind of gone through two changes now. Uh, if you look at the second revision 8079, you're going to see that the panel said the original listing mark is removed because it no longer applies to the reconditioned equipment. So you're, you're basically removing that original listing because it's been reevaluated. It's been reconditioned. That original listing doesn't apply anymore. So that was clarified in this code change. Okay? And also, informational note three was added to clarify that the original listing mark is to be removed and is not the entire label that may contain important information needed to be retained for the life of this equipment. So... The note says the original listing mark may include the mark of the certifying body and not the entire equipment label. So just a reminder to that application. Okay. So that was the change that took place. Um, Again, the reconditioning requirements and everything that we have in in 110.21A1 is all there. Uh, all the information that you have to put on it, the manufacturer's name, trademark, descriptive markings, and whatnot uh, of that company that's responsible for the replacement or refurbishing or, or whatever of that equipment or whatever they're doing, uh, all that's required. Then you kick, that's the general, and then you kick down into the reconditioned equipment application. Of course, then we go on to B, which is field applied hazard markings and blah, blah, blah. That wasn't a change for the 2020. Now, let's go to the next change in 110.24, available fault current. So we have an SR here, means that we have a second revision number 8089. And that second revision uh, was simply adding to the informational note, added the term interrupting, because it better reflects the requirements for the ratings of 110.9. Okay, so again, informational note, but we want the information to be accurate. Okay, so we understand that we this again might be a change from something that was in the 2017 code when you see this language come out, but it's because it might be a change to what was done under the first draft. Now, I don't want to get you confused. Okay, 
just understand it. I'm talking about the changes that took place under the second revision. Okay. Hopefully, at this point, you already went and looked at what took place after the first draft. Okay. Now we're in the second revision stage. Okay. Don't want you to be confused. Now, just for that, just to avoid confusion, I am going to go because I want to make clear. I'm going to go back and look because you know there's always somebody out there, always the haters out there. You know what I say to haters? I'm eagerly awaiting your podcast, hater. Okay. Everybody's out there wants to criticize somebody else's podcast or their videos or whatnot, but then you ask them, what have you done lately? And they ain't done nothing. I'm just saying. Okay, so 110.24a, I'm going to go back and look at it and see what's changed. Uh, And then I'm going to compare this to, oops, bear with me. Hold on here. All right, hold on. Still going here? Yep, I'm going to make sure I'm still going, recording. Uh, let's go back and look and see. Okay, so I'm going to look at what's going on here and see calibration, calculations we made, the design, and let's see here. I want to see if there's any changes. Nope, doesn't look like any. The service equipment at, service equipment at, nope. Okay, so this is a class example. This one actually was uh, consistent with what it was in the 2017 code. And all they did here is obviously make a change uh, to the informational notes. Okay. All right, let's close that. Let's go to the next one. All right, the next one is 110.26a, working space. So there is a second revision. It was 8097. And it was based on two public comments, 1355 and 523. Again, this is SR 8097 if you're following along. Um, and it's basically, the, the here's what happened is, in the informational note, they took out the last sentence that said, requirements in this code do not endorse unjustified work or on energized electrical equipment. And the code panel said, you know what, this code should not take positions on work practices Uh, whether justified or unjustified. The term unjustified work is vague and unenforceable. Yes, it's an informational note. Yes, we know it's not enforceable, period. But it's just not good guidance. Uh, So that was removed. Okay, so that's your change for the second revision. I remind you that we're going to go over all the significant changes once these are all set in stone. Again, I'm just reminding you what's changed at the second revision stage. If you're totally confused, then I can't help you. I really can't. All right, next change that took place at the second revision meeting that just took place in San Diego was 110.26A3, height of the working space. Now, here we added some lines, uh, some information, and we took out the term that is, or the reference to that is. So what is the... um, 110.2683, the height of the working space. It says, the working space shall be clear and extend from the grade, floor, or platform to a height of six and a half feet or the height of the equipment, whichever is greater. Um, within the height requirements of this section, other equipment, and it used to say other equipment that is associated. Now it says other equipment or support structures such as concrete pads associated with the electrical installation and 
located above or below the electrical equipment shall be permitted to extend not more than six inches beyond the front of the electrical equipment. Okay, so we got rid of that is and we got rid of the is between the, where it says electrical installation and is located above. For clarity, we just says electrical equipment and located above or below. Okay, so this allows things to stick out, okay, uh, to not extend beyond six inches from the front of the electrical equipment. Typically happens with meter, uh, the meter socket itself, the meter that plugs into the socket, uh, you know, different things like that. So again, just a little clarity. Uh, again, it's talking about the height requirements of this section, other equipment, again, or supporting structures such as concrete pad, okay, was added to that for clarity. Now, again, if you go look at the SR, which is, again, 8098, you'll see that the code panel stated, it said the phrase support structures such as concrete pads is added to indicate that both other equipment and their supporting structures such as, let's say, housekeeping pads or concrete pads. I'm, not, I'm really not even sure what a housekeeping pad is. Um, associated with the electrical installation are not permitted to extend more than six inches beyond the electrical equipment. Okay. Uh, the, the addition of the support structures better aligns with the definitions of equipment and structure. Okay, so they mean to tell you that it's not just the equipment, but it's also the supporting component of that equipment can't exceed beyond six inches, okay, from the front of the electrical equipment. So I guess we had some applications where the equipment itself did not exceed, exceed, extend out beyond six inches, but the supporting component that it sat on underneath it did, which made it pretty difficult to, to actually get safely to the equipment okay so there you go that was clarified and added remember all subject to change based on the vote so if you're writing these down then the second revision 8098 okay remember we're not talking about the changes that took place in the first draft okay and what i'm reading you might be different than what was in the 2017 Okay, I'm just reading to you the changes that took place during the second draft stage. Okay, please get that understood. Okay, all right, so the next significant change that took place was to 110.26B, uh, no, C2 for large equipment. So this next proposed change was a second revision 8104. Okay, and it says for large equipment, for uh, says large equipment. It says for large equipment that contains overcurrent devices, switching devices, or control devices, there shall be one entrance to and egress from the required working space, not less than 24 inches wide, uh, or yes, 24 inches wide. Okay, uh, and let's see. You know, it's so hard to read it in this in this text, this markup text. So I'm going to open up the, the draft and see if it makes any better sense. Okay. Again, large equipment. It says, for large equipment that contains overcurrent devices, switching devices, or control devices, there shall be one entrance to and egress from the required working space, not less than 24 inches wide and uh, 24 uh, in, I believe it's six and a half feet high. Uh, at each end of the working space. Okay, so there you go. It says the requirement shall apply to either of the following conditions. Number one, 
says for equipment rated 1,200 amperes or more and over six feet wide. Okay. Uh, let's see. So it applies to got to be 1,200 amps or more and over six feet wide. That's an important one to remember. The and is an important statement. Uh, doesn't have the or in there. It says number two, it says for a service disconnection means installed in accordance with 230.71 where the combined ampere rating is 1,200 amps or more and over six feet wide, open equipment doors shall not impede the entrance to or egress from the working space. Okay, so we have that clarity in there. And then it says, a single entrance to and egress from the equipment working space shall be permitted uh, where either of the conditions in 110.26C2A or C2B is met. Okay, so number one was unobstructed egress. Says where the locate where the location permits a continuous and unobstructed way of egress travel, a single entrance to the working space shall be permitted. Not really a change there. Uh, and next one says extra working space where the depth of the working space is twice that's what's required by 110.26A1. We're not we're, we're familiar with that. It's then saying, well, look, if you have that double the distance. Then a single entrance shall be permitted. It says it shall be located such that this distance from the equipment to the nearest edge. Okay, so you're measuring from this 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 space that we're defining. Um, nearest edge of the entrance is not less than the minimum clearance distance specified in Table 110.26A1 uh, for the for equipment operating at that voltage and in that condition. Okay, so. 110.26A1 might be three feet, so you look at that working space, you measure that working space as we talked about before, and that is the the what we're dealing with. And at this this point, then that extra working space, the entrance you measure, it could be has to be at least three feet from or three and a half, depending on the voltage we're dealing with, or whatever's in that table, that's the distance it needs to be. Okay? So you have to have where you have that allowance to have that single entrance, okay? Then the nearest edge of the entrance uh, can't be less than the minimum clearance that's described in Table 110.26A1. Not new information, really, uh, in that part. Um, but in order to look at the substantiation, it basically saying that 110.26C2 was restructured to add clarity. So the code panel said requirements for uh, are added in 110.26C2 to prevent open equipment doors from impeding the entry to or egress from the working space of large equipment in order to minimize the clearance of entrapment between the open equipment door and an obstruction such as a wall facing the equipment. Okay, so this was also based on two public comments, 814 and 881. Okay, so the real clarity in here was uh, dealing with the the application in item number two, and that is open equipment doors shall not impede the entrance to or egress from the working space. Okay, so that was the significance of that one, and, and of course restructuring. The next one that took place is 110.26D, and that is illumination. Okay, illumination, it says, illumination shall be provided for all working spaces 
about uh, uh, service equipment, switchboards, switchgear, panel boards, or motor control centers installed indoors. Remember, this illumination is specifically geared towards service equipment, switchboards, switchgear, panel boards, and motor controlled motor control centers installed indoors. Don't try to broadly apply this. This is what it applies to. It says control by automatic means shall not be permitted to control all illumination within the working space. And I will remind the code correlating committee that they spelled space wrong uh, in this change. So obviously they will catch this hopefully during the correlating committee. Uh, It happens from time to time. Not a big deal. Uh, It also says additional lighting outlets shall not be required where the workspace is illuminated by an adjacent light source as permitted in 210.70A1, exception number one, uh, for switched receptacles. Okay, so here's a revision. The second revision is 8105. And basically, 110.26D was modified to improve safety by preventing complete loss of illumination when controlled by automatic means, such as motion sensors or timers. So... The adding of the term control all illumination within the working space uh, and remove only in there. So it says control by automatic means. It used to say automatic means only shall not be permitted. Now it just says control by automatic means shall not be permitted to control all illumination within that workspace. Okay. So that's your change. Now, again, whether that holds true, we still have a vote to take place. So just kind of bringing you up on that. The next change we have is to 110.28. This is enclosure types. Uh, In here, they got rid of the term conduit and replaced it with raceway because it applies to, to, uh, obviously, conduit is very general. Uh, For example, EMTs is not a conduit. It's a tubing. People get that confused. But anyway, so that was kind of the change here. There was a revision. Again, it took place. Um, they got rid of in the informational notes, got rid of the term rated. It says dust type enclosures. It says are permitted. And basically it says dust type enclosures are suitable for use in hazardous locations in accordance with 502.10. Uh, application 502 dealing with, you know, combustible dust and all this kind of stuff like that. So at the end of the day, it's just some tidying up. Uh, the second revision to this, uh, is 81 and that was the second revision and all the code panel said here was raceway was replaced replaces conduit because it is more in a more appropriate term other types of raceways in addition to conduits can connect to enclosures uh, and permit the the entry of condensation icing corrosion other contamination which is what we're trying to deal with here in in a 110.28 type of enclosure so it just made better sense. And of course, it reminds you to see the definition in Article 100 for raceway. Of course, remember that all of the wiring methods that are raceways will include that in their definition as well. So, um, And this was a result of public comments 51 and 453 that seek to make this change. Uh, resulted in a reject but see. And of course, the panel then made all these changes. I will say this time, the new terminologies or... I guess we had them last time. I don't remember. But now it's reject but see, reject but hold, accept. Uh, I don't know. Accept but see, I guess. I don't know. They were, it was very confusing, but it seemed like majority of the work that we did, anytime we changed a public comment 
whether it was editorial or whatnot, we use the term reject but see. Uh, and uh, that was the, the way it was done this time. Okay. Next. Next, we have a change to the over 1,000 volts, which I hesitate to even talk about. But it is a change in 110.31 enclosures for electrical installations. Again, we're dealing with over 1,000 volts. And so we have the term locks was added. Now, this is uh, locks. It says doors shall be equipped with locks. Uh, the doors shall be locked, uh, kept locked uh, with access only to qualified persons. Uh, personnel doors shall open in the direction of egress. Obviously, open out. Don't want to open any egress path. Uh, and uh, you don't want it to open in and then potentially obstruct you. Um, and be equipped with listed panic hardware or listed fire exit hardware. Okay. Obviously, they must make listed fire exit hardware. So adding that in there might be the fact that it's still listed exit hardware, but it wasn't listed panic hardware. So that looks like that's the significant change. Again, if you want to read that, that's second revision, 8110. The next change was to transformers under that same deal when you're dealing with uh, um, electrical volts under over 1,000 volts. And we're dealing with transformers. Uh, and then all this change was to tidy up the reference to an ANSI ASTM document that's in the informational note. That was the only significant change here at this revision stage. Okay? Or I should say public comment stage. That's the only change. Now, it's SR. If you want to see that and follow all the public comments that, that were involved with that, maybe, um, then you're going to look at second revision 8111. Okay? Let's see, the next one, and again, we're still dealing with over a 1,000 volts. We, we're kind of still in there. Uh, is dealing with, uh, I believe this is 110.31. Hold on. Uh, no, 110.33A3, dealing with personnel doors. Again, looks like here they simply added the term listed again for a listic. Uh, for listed fire exit hardware. And I guess that falls under UL305, which is a standard for positive pressure fire tests for door assemblies. And of course, UL10C, whatever it is, I don't follow those. Um, but there it is, okay? I guess you have both listed panic hardware and you have both listed fire exit hardware. So makes sense to add both there. So that was the change. This was part of the public comment 182. Uh, and that public comment came from UL. So who would know better? Maybe UL. So there you go. Okay. So let's keep on rocking. The next one is in 110.40. Now, 110.40, obviously we're dealing still with uh, applications over 1,000 volts. Good news, we had a restructuring. 310 is dealing with 1,000 volts or less. And 311 is now dealing with over 1,000 volts. So in order to make that change, with all that extensive change that was done to cha in Chapter 3, most notably 310, it, it create it pulled out all of the issues to the over 1,000, and it created their own article. And that is 311. And we'll cover all that when we go over the significant changes to 310 and 311. Um, and so in this one... We're dealing with temperature limitations at terminals for conductors and 90 degrees and whatnot and 60 degrees. See, all that goody. Um, and you'll see that now it just references 
3.11. And 3.11 is now dealing with the over 1,000 volt application. So now it's simple. You're either in 3.10, 1,000 volts or less, or you're in 3.11, over 1,000 volts. Okay, so that's the change. And those changes correlate with significant restructuring of Chapter 3's Article 3.10. Okay, boy, you can't wait for that episode, right? Okay. All right, my friends, that is it. That is all to this point, the significant changes that took place at the second revision stage. Stage, what I say, stain? <laughs> Sorry, slip of the tongue. So, um, a lot of good stuff there. Nothing earth shattering, but good stuff. Um, clarification, making sure that those egress doors can't open up into the actual space. Um, and things like that. Just, you know, good applications there. Um, I encourage you to, hopefully you wrote down all those second revision numbers so that when the second draft comes out, um, in months later when that comes out, you'll have an opportunity to go right to those SRs and look and see. Remember, the changes that took place to the 2017 codes first started in the 2020 under FRs. That's the first revisions. Then we had changes to those first revisions as a result of the first draft. And now what we talked about today were second revisions that are going to culminate in what's called the second draft. But remember, we still need to vote on all this. So nothing that I talked about here is set in stone yet. It still could be rejected. Okay? All right. And then, of course, you have the nitmams. So we have more stuff to look at. But I'm just kind of giving you a 36,000-foot view of what's going on, right? I'm giving you this this big overview. I didn't go into any of the changes in too many too much detail because they're still very fluid. Some of these things could change. So, just want to give you a heads up. So, hopefully you got something out of it. Till next time, stay safe, God bless, and uh until next time, uh take care. Every day the future's getting closer. Every looking bright every day is another beginning